Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us today as we try to answer some of your questions about the Bible. That's what we do on this program is take viewers' questions. There'll be a phone number and a website on your screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us, and we just take viewers' questions and try to find answers to them. Uh, we get a lot of detailed Bible questions. We get a lot of life questions, uh, practical things that people wonder what the Bible has to say, and we'll try to find you an answer to any of those kind of questions. So give us a call or log on. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Introduce my partner, Toby Levering, and we'll get started here in just a moment. Toby, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. And uh, I think we've got plenty of questions saved always up do. here to, to work <laughs> on, but we always start with one for our viewing audience. So let me give them that. Uh, I, John the uh, Revelator wrote Revelation, and he was exiled on an island. What was the name of that island? And we'll give you that answer at the end of the program. See if you and your family know that little bit of Bible trivia. All right, I think you drew the first one, Toby, so we'll yep. let you go. Yeah, a viewer asked the question, if Jesus paid for all our sins, why will there be a judgment? Well, I started to think about this, and I think it comes down to the word our. Uh, let me use this illustration, which is a poor one, but I'll, I'll give it anyway. Imagine you go to a restaurant. The restaurant is full, the, it's packed, everyone's there. Uh, it's a lovely restaurant, everybody loves being there. And uh, one night, as you are there eating, uh, there is a very wealthy man who comes in and calls the manager over and says, Tonight, I want to pay for everyone's meal. And uh, all they have to do is just the waitress goes around, let them know their meal's been paid for. All they have to do is bring their receipt up to the counter, and it'll be taken care of. And so the patrons are all informed of this lavish gift, and many of them are very thankful. But there are a few in the in the restaurant who are eating who are a little bit offended. They want to pay the bill on their own. And uh, they, they decide that when they, they're not taking the receipt up to the front, and they, they just want to take care of it themselves. Now, I tell that illustrative story <laughs> to uh, illustrate this point. Jesus, uh, like the very wealthy man, paid everyone's bill. Okay, But we have to respond to that. We have to choose to accept the gift. And Judgment Day is the day when we have to settle the bill. And on Judgment Day, uh, we're going to settle the bill by either trying to pay for it on our own or by saying the bill has been paid in full. Uh, indeed, Jesus did pay for all of our sins. Uh, that's our only hope, <laughs> to settle the bill on Judgment Day. That's the only way it's going to work, and that's what Judgment Day is all about, to settle once and for all time the living and the dead, uh, the debts that we owe our Creator. And our only hope is, uh, and indeed anyone's only hope, is those who, who have had the bill paid. For to try and pay it on our own is simply not going to be enough. Uh, Judgment Day is described uh, in different places in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, 
verses 21 through 23. This is not going to be on your screen, but I'm going to read it for you and listen to how Jesus describes it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, and this is the key, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, judgment Day is about who has accepted the gift from Christ and who walked with Him and who knew Him. And, and Judgment Day, if you try to go about it on your own, that will be a very sad day indeed. Let's look at one verse together that is on your screen. So in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, uh, 1 through 3. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We can be sure we know him if we obey his commands. So let him pay your bill, and you'll be just fine on Judgment Day. But for those who don't, it's going to be a difficult day. All righty. Thank you, Toby. I got a question about what we say at funerals. Uh, viewers, let us know we want this question answered. At a funeral, uh, people say that the deceased is already in heaven. Are they, or are they awaiting judgment somewhere? All right, interesting question, and I know exactly what this viewer is talking about because I got in <coughs> trouble for it one time. I uh, preached somebody's funeral, and I talked about them being with the Lord and uh, all of that, and in heaven, and afterwards. Uh, senior citizen, quite senior citizen <laughs> lady came up and that didn't fit her theology. She told me I was wrong that uh, we didn't go to heaven until the judgment day and until then we were waiting somewhere and she had the theology pretty well figured out and I uh, apologize for offending her but uh, I know what the viewers talking about. We do talk that way at funerals uh, even though in general we believe there is a place uh, of either torment or paradise waiting before the judgment. Now, our theology on that is, I wouldn't say it's shaky, but we don't have a whole lot of teaching in the Bible to explain that time period. Now, the Bible says we die, guaranteed going to happen unless Jesus comes back first. Uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's what the Bible says. We're going to die and there's going to be a judgment but there's a time in between that while we're waiting for Jesus to come and the rest of us to die and all of that. What we base our theology on is basically the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. He talked about two people and we believe it was a true story because he named them and discussed them. Uh, and the two people, one good, one bad, died. One went to Abraham's bosom, a place of, of a paradise if you will. And the other one went to a place of torment uh, where he wanted to warn his brothers. He wanted a drop of water. He could see the other side. He couldn't pass over. There weren't any second chances. Uh, we take that story and we have an explanation of what happens between death and the judgment. A place called Hades, the abode of the dead is what that word really means. And in that there seemed to be two areas, the place of torment and the place of paradise or good things. Uh, so that's the theology, that's what we believe. Uh, one verse perhaps that 
makes us all right to talk the way we do at funerals. Uh, here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8 about his death. He said, we're confident, I say, and would rather, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when we're away from the body, whether it's in a place called paradise or even heaven somehow, uh, we are with the Lord. So it's, I think it's acceptable to talk that way at a funeral and uh, assume that the person is certainly in a good place uh, and with the Lord, whatever exact location that might be. Well, we don't have to have that all figured out, you know. It's Not. Uh, <laughs> We got to have the we we have to have got it settled before we die. Right, right, exactly. Because there's yeah. no other chance after that. But right. uh, he'll take care of it, and we're going to be fine. Yeah, I think. <laughs> All right. All right. The next question: uh, Where in the Bible is incest mentioned or forbidden? Okay. Well, the word incest, strictly defined, is uh, called a sexual relationship between people closely or uh, uh, being classed as being too closely related to marry. And if you're looking for the word incest or incestual within the scriptures, uh, I'm not aware of any translation where you'll find that word, but there certainly are descriptors <coughs> of what we would call an incestual relationship. Uh, Cain and his wife is a, probably a famous one we get asked about occasionally on here. Um, you know, likely was his sister. Uh, there was probably a lot of time between that and so forth, but uh, there was Abram and Sarai. They were uh, sort of uh, half-sister, she was to him. Uh, of course, Lot and his daughters is kind of an infamous one, and uh, lots of different other ones. And so this does ha happen and occur many times in Scripture. Now, I want to be careful to say that does not mean that God is condoning that. I've said before that the Bible is a very honest book, and it simply lays out all the uh, good, bad, and even the ugly of its characters, uh, even God-fearing people. And so we need to understand that just because these people did those things doesn't mean that God says that's okay or you know, in any way approves of that. Uh, he he's never claims that uh, human beings have, have been spotless and free from their wickedness uh, since the beginning, truthfully. Now, uh, Paul addressed uh, this specific sin, and he called it sexual immorality, as a man had his father's wife. And uh, this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, verses 1 and 2. We'll look at that on the screen. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your, put out of your fellowship the man who did this? So there's uh, many places where it's mentioned, and there's one specific case where it's not only forbidden, but Paul says you better get a hold of this problem. So I uh, hope that helps you in, in answer to your question. Well, thank you, Toby. Let me take a break from our questions here and talk about some free Bible study materials that we offer. I know your Bible has a number of different courses that you can learn a whole lot about the Bible with, and we're happy to provide those to you absolutely free of charge. You see the first question or set of uh, lessons on the screen right now. There are eight lessons in this first series. 
And it's a good way to get familiar with the Bible. It gives you a good overview of the Bible. It's uh, not tied to any church doctrine or any denomination. It's just a good general Bible study. And you'll know a whole lot more about the Bible after you finish these eight lessons. Uh, when you finish it, we've got a handsome certificate that we'll get to you to signify that you've accomplished uh, a good study. And then we've got some more courses uh, that we'll offer you to keep right on studying. And uh, you can study the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study material. So all you have to do is use that phone number or log on to the website, say you'd like that free course, and we'll get it started for you. Uh, viewers called in and said, uh, how many of your people oppose abortion? How many of your people oppose abortion? Well, it's tough question because I don't know who your people is. Uh, I guess I could take a poll right now and see. Toby, do you oppose abortion? I do. Okay, I oppose abortion, so it's 100% of my people. Uh, but I know that's not what the viewer meant. Maybe he means of the Churches of Christ, the people who provide this program for you. Uh, maybe he means anybody who calls themselves a Christian. He may not be a Christian and mean your people by that. Maybe he means evangelicals. That's a term that the media likes to use these days. Uh, and whatever group he's talking about, I'm sure there are varieties of beliefs. Uh, I'm sure there are kind of all positions of, from opposing abortion adamantly to uh, not opposing it. Uh, but in general, uh, the only numbers I can give this viewer come from a Gallup poll a year or so ago. Uh, let's just put that up on the screen. In 2010, Gallup found out uh, that 50% of all Americans uh, say that abortion is morally wrong. And 30%, 38% say it's morally acceptable. Uh, and 61% say it should be legal in a few or no circumstances. So the majority of people, uh, if he means your people by Americans, uh, the majority don't think it should be readily available, it should be easily available. Uh, and I would say within the Christian community, surely the percentages are much higher against and opposing abortion, uh, <coughs> but I don't have any numbers to prove it, uh, I would say one thing, uh, we don't act on that opposition very well when we go to the voting booth uh, because this country is overwhelmingly made up of people that claim to be Christians, uh, but we continue to elect people that uh, support abortion and don't oppose it, uh, so we don't apply our Christian beliefs at least when we go to the voting polls. So that's all I can tell our viewer about that. Toby, I'll let you explain a verse here. All right, an explanation, a question. Please explain Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Uh, well, that's a, a lengthy uh, uh, section of Scripture that I'm not going to be able to put on the screen uh, due to time and just it would <laughs> make the print so tiny you couldn't read it. But if you turn there in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20 and, and verses 1 through 16, you'll see uh, that that is typically called the, the parable of the vineyard workers. And briefly <laughs> explained, a, a landowner has a, a vineyard. He needs workers to go out and harvest. He hires them at different times of the day. He starts early in the morning at 9 a.m. with the first batch, and he says, I'll pay you a denarius. And then he hires another batch at noon, another batch at three, and another batch at five. And uh, each, I think each time he says, I'll pay you a denarius, except for the last one, they, you know, they say, we'll, we'll work for whatever you pay us, whatever's fair. And so at 6 p.m. comes, comes time for, 
for getting paid and they pay he pays the ones that came in last first and they get a denarius and now the ones who've been working all day think all right you know we're we're at least going to get that much well turns out they all get paid the same amount the lesson is and he he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like that's the key here uh, Matthew talks a great deal about this theme, the king, of course that's Jesus and his kingdom, which is uh, the church which he was going to build, uh, have built uh, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he talks about that using phrases like the kingdom. And he's saying that in the kingdom, I have different types of workers, uh, those who will work all day, that means you know, their entire life, uh, they'll <coughs> devote themselves to the cause of, of, of the kingdom and the work. And there will be those who just come in at the last minute, barely get anything done. And uh, God's going to reward both of those in the same way. And, and that doesn't seem fair to us. But the lesson is that God is both gracious to the workers who came late and fair to the early workers who, who he paid exactly what he told them he would pay. And so it's a kind of a lesson on grace and how that is not fair, but thank goodness for that because we don't want God's fairness or justice. We all need his grace. So hope that helps explain it. All right, thank you. Let me take this moment to invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. The Churches of Christ are the folks who put this program on for you each week and keep us on the air. And we like to mention a supporting congregation or two each week. Uh, today we're going to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, uh, the Northside Church of Christ. That's where Toby and I both attend and, uh, up on North Meridian right here in Wichita, Kansas, the home of Know Your Bible. Uh, we worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and we'd have, be happy to have you uh, join us for that. We'd enjoy meeting any of our viewers that dropped by. Let me tell you about one special program we have called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it's on 7 p at 7 o'clock on Thursday night, every Thursday night. Uh, and it's a great uh, session for folks to get together who want to learn more about freedom through Christ. And everybody's got hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And that's the basics of the basis of this program is Christ has got the answer for those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we'd invite you to visit that 7 o'clock on Thursday nights at Northside. I also might throw in there that if the viewers have seen or heard about the movie Home Run, uh, very uh, is kind of out, has been out for a little while, uh, they probably have, have been <laughs> familiar with that program. And, and it's a great movie to introduce the program. And... Yeah, yeah, we host wonder, it Northside. You wonder what Celebrate Recovery yeah. is about? Go see Home Run, watch a baseball movie, yeah. and Get some you'll learn in. about it. Good. <laughs> All right, viewers got a question here, and it's a really hard question. <laughs> he says, explain 1 Corinthians 15, 29, baptism for the dead. Well, let me show you the verse if you're not familiar with it. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? You may say, well, that is a strange verse. What, what is this baptism for the dead? I'm taking notes here. Okay. I'm trying to get the answer. <laughs> I'll, give you the answer. I'll give you the answer right here. Uh, Adam Clark had it in his commentary. Adam Clark said, this is certainly the most difficult verse in the New Testament. <laughs> for notwithstanding the greatest and wisest men have labored to explain it, there are to this day nearly as many different interpretations of it as there are interpreters. <laughs> so Adam, who was a great Bible scholar, said, man, this is a tough one. Uh, and it's tough because nobody knows what Paul was talking about. Uh, there's no example of people doing that, uh, being baptized for the dead. Uh, the Bible says you need to repent and confess and uh, obey Him, and that's when you're living you do that. 
the Bible doesn't talk anything about a second chance, that after you're dead somebody can be baptized for you. Uh, there's no historical practice. Nobody in history um, really practiced baptism for the dead. Now I know today the Mormon <coughs> church practices it. They take that verse uh, and they've decided their theology is, well, yeah, you can be baptized for the dead, and that's why they do so much genealogical research and find who their ancestors were, and then they line up and be baptized for them, uh, hoping that has some effect in the afterlife. But <clears throat> the best guess that anybody has, or that I have, of course, Adam Clark said everybody's got a guess, but maybe somebody in that day was doing it. Maybe somebody had a weird theology and they were being baptized for the dead. And Paul's, Paul, if you read the verse, said, those who practice this, those who are being baptized. He, he doesn't endorse it. He doesn't say it works. He doesn't say it's a good idea. He just says, those who do it. Uh, if there's no resurrection, what are they going to do? Uh, bear that in mind. The whole context is about resurrection. He's trying to teach them that the body will be raised, there will be a resurrection. And for some reason he brings in this concept of those who might be being baptized for the dead. We just don't know. Don't know what, uh, what the practice was. We haven't seen the practice in history since until the Mormons started it. Uh, so it's a most difficult verse in the Bible and therefore I don't feel too bad telling you I can't answer it. <laughs> All right, All right, I'll let Toby have one maybe he can answer. Okay, I'll do my best here. A viewer wants to know why did the two men in Matthew 9:27 refer to Jesus as thou son of David instead of son of God or Messiah? Okay, well if you turn to Matthew 9:27, uh, you read that story. I don't think we have it on the screen, but it reminds us uh, as they these two blind men call out to Jesus, and they say him, you know, have mercy on us, son of David. And the viewer wants to know what is that about? You know, why not just call him Messiah or Christ? Well, if you were living back in that day, the term son of David was referring to the Messiah or the Christ. All, all uh, Jewish people understood innately from their training, from the prophecies of Scripture, that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David and would um, continue his dynasty, if you will, as was promised to David. And so they were saying in calling him son of David, we know you're the Messiah. We know you're the promised one. That, that, was, that was no surprise to the Jewish people that that person was coming. And so the uh, pronouncement of, the, of Jesus as son of David is, is an acknowledgement of his title and his authority and who he was. Uh, David was promised a king would forever be in his lineage in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, if you're looking for the, the Old Testament connection there. And so this is kind of the connection with the Davidic covenant. And so that's what the Jews understood Jesus to be. I, I mean, those particular Jews did, and they believed it, and that's what they pronounced him there, essentially calling him the same thing as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. Lots of different terms. They knew who Jesus was for sure. They no, no doubt about that. So Matthew goes at great length to point out this, uh, connecting Jesus' genealogy right there with David. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, which we do have on the screen, a couple of verses there. Uh, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. Verse 6 goes on, and Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon. And then finishing up that genealogy, he says, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 
14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Christ. And so absolutely clear that Jesus was the son of David. And that was very important to the Jews in those yeah, days. That's big the way, deal. They, way yeah. they thought about him. So that's probably why the people, the two guys they, called him that. And that's probably why they wanted to make him king. I mean, they were ready to <laughs> yep. bring back the good old days. They thought he was supposed to be king. Yeah. All righty, let me see if we can squeeze this one in. Viewer uh, doesn't enjoy reading the Bible. And the question is, am I doomed to hell because I don't enjoy reading the Bible? Okay, I'm going to take that in two parts. First about the, the doomed to hell part, and then we'll see if we can work on enjoy reading the Bible. Uh, my answer to are you going to hell because you don't enjoy reading the Bible is no. Uh, reading the Bible is not a condition for getting into heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. We're saved by grace and the mercy of Christ, not by our reading ability or by our reading volume. Uh, one way to think about that is if reading the Bible gets you into heaven, how much would be enough? You know, how much do you have to read? A verse a day, a chapter a day, 10 hours a day. Uh, another way to think about it is for most of history, uh, well, since of Christian history, uh, hardly anyone had a Bible. For a thousand, fifteen hundred years, it was very rare for anyone to possess a Bible uh, to be able to read it. Now, if they had one, I guarantee you they enjoyed reading it, uh, but they didn't have one. So, obviously, reading the Bible can't be a condition for salvation. But there is a problem. Uh, not enjoying reading the Bible. Let me try a couple of things. First of all, uh, I'd say make sure you've got a translation that's readable. <coughs> Excuse me, that's easy to read. Uh, you may have an old-fashioned one that's in, not in our current modern English and it's hard to read and that makes it not so enjoyable. So get a good more modern translation. Uh, secondly, I'd say try a different kind of Bible. Don't just start at Genesis and try to read straight through. It's easy to get bogged down in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and in there. It, it's not real fun to read some of the lists of old laws and all that. Uh, it's kind of helpful and kind of interesting, but it's not much fun. So if you start and get bogged down in there, it could make you not enjoy it. Uh, let me suggest a chronological Bible. Uh, F. Lagarde Smith is one who publishes one. He's taken the whole Bible and he's put it in a chronological order so it makes a lot more sense. Uh, you see it in the timeline and it's, uh, we studied that a few years ago at uh, Northside. We did our daily Bible reading from it and I had lots of people tell me they enjoyed reading the Bible more than they ever had in their life when they could do it in that chronological fashion. So try a different kind of Bible perhaps. And the last thing, last tip I'll give you about enjoying reading the Bible is uh, what are you looking for? What, what are you seeking? Uh, for instance, let me tell you a phony story. Let's say I go over to my neighbor's mailbox every day and take their mail and bring it in the house and I read their mail. I don't really enjoy it because <laughs> I don't know who these people are and I don't know what they're writing about. I don't understand it. Uh, the point is I'm reading something that wasn't written to me. The Bible is written to people who are seeking God and who belong to God. If you're seeking God, you'll find some enjoyment in reading the Bible. So don't read it as a, a punishment or a way to get into heaven or as a hardship. Read it seeking God with an open mind. Look for Him in there and I bet you'll start to enjoy it a little bit more than you do now. 
All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And that was, what island did John write Revelation from? And he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And you can find that in verse 9 of John chapter 1. I uh, wrote the book of Revelation. It was the revelation of Jesus actually given to John. We're out of time for today, but we're glad you've been with us. We're going to invite you to be back with us next week as we try to answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible and uh, see if we can get some of them answered for you. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.